Okay. If you would, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to two different passages of Scripture. Find Isaiah chapter 37 and put a bookmark there. After you get a bookmark in Isaiah 37, I'd like you to find Psalm 46. Isaiah 37 and Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is going to be our main focus this morning. I want to talk to you about a battle song for a girl's choir. A battle song for a girl's choir in Psalm 46. The superscription of Psalm 46 says, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge." Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I want to begin this morning by putting this psalm into its historical perspective. It is not a psalm of David, but it came much later than him. This is in the days of David's great, 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 just add 12 greats in there, great times 12, grandson, Hezekiah, king of Judah, a man named Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. The name Sennacherib sounds funny to us today, but that very mention of the name Sennacherib would have struck fear in the hearts of people around the world. For a generation, Sennacherib became essentially the, the kind of boogeyman of the known world. The one big difference between Sennacherib and boogeyman is Sennacherib was very real, and he really was out to get you. Sennacherib led his army of Assyria of hundreds and thousands of soldiers down into Judah, pillaging and plundering all the way along. And there was no army in his day that was capable of resisting him. 2 Kings chapter 19 and Isaiah's chapters 36 and 37 record the invasion of Sennacherib's army. He came to one city after a number, 
capturing 46 cities in all. And then he turned his attention and marched his army toward Jerusalem. And the tactics of Sennacherib were multifaceted. He was a master of both physical and psychological warfare. He sent messengers ahead of the army who knew how to speak the local language. So in this case, he sent messengers to Jerusalem who could speak Hebrew and the messengers would stand outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem shouting in at the inhabitants. Don't trust King Hezekiah. Don't trust your God Yahweh. Sennacherib, our master, has conquered many kings. They all had their own gods. And which of their gods was ever able to help them? Your God and your king will not be able to protect you. Sennacherib even sent nasty letters. I don't know if you've ever gotten a nasty letter. Um, And the two main jobs I've had of being a newspaper editor and a pastor both give you the occasion to get a nasty letter every once in a while. This was not anonymous. King Hezekiah got a letter from Sennacherib letting him know in very specific detail exactly what kinds of abuse that both he and his people were about to be subjected to. And Hezekiah responded by doing an interesting thing. For the first time we know of in about 250 years, the king came to the temple to pray. He brought that letter. He opened the scroll up in the temple and spread it out before the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37, starting at verse 14, says Hezekiah, received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. Now even in asking for God's intervention, Hezekiah still made some common sense preparations. Hezekiah had made a wall in order to protect his people, but he did not put his trust in that wall. He made a One marvelous invention was digging a 600-yard-long snaking tunnel in order to provide water for the city of Jerusalem, but he didn't trust in his cleverness. And so he comes to the temple and he spreads out the letter and he prays saying, Lord, look at this. 
Sennacherib is coming and he's bragging about all the horrible things he's done to all the other nations. And what's worse, he's not lying. He really has done them. And if you don't step in, he's going to do it here. The full capacity of Sennacherib's army lays siege to the city and Hezekiah knows that God alone has the power to turn them away. Just keep reading there in Isaiah 37, verse 21. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin... The daughter of Zion has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughters of Jerusalem, the daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. I have to say I like God's answer. Essentially, he has a message for Sennacherib, which is the virgin, the daughter of Zion has despised you and laughed you to scorn. Sennacherib's army had, had lumbered to Jerusalem, conquering city after city, engaging in psychological warfare about the way that those men in his army would, would violate the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all in an effort to frighten the ones who would fight. And God's answer is that not only will the men not be afraid, but the little girls are going to laugh at you. Now, go back to our psalm, Psalm 46, and look at the superscription above the psalm. It indicates this psalm was to be delivered to the chief musician, to the, <clears throat> to the choir director. It is a psalm of the sons of Korah, not for them, but of them, by them, written by the sons of Korah, and it is a song, it says, for Alamoth. Lots of speculation, rage about what exactly that word alamoth means, like it could be a specific musical instrument. But I think the most reasonable thing to understand is that it means just what it says. The root word is other places translated as maids, virgin damsels, girls. Right? I think this indicates that this song is going to be sung by a young girl's choir of soprano voices right sinatrib you try this the little girls are going to laugh at you and here is a song for the little girls to sing <clears throat> it breaks down into three clear sections each one ends with that word selah and that is just a I think a musical notation meaning the singers pause there the music stops for a moment so now that you've got the historical background, sort of the, the structural information on the song, let's jump into the psalm and we'll see it in three sections as it explains first in verses 1 through 3. God is a refuge against natural disasters. Now there is nothing that was natural about Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. Yet it's only fitting as, as, as Sennacherib bragged about everything that he was and everything that he could do that somebody would brag about the God of creation and what God could do. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. 
even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, can God be relied upon in times of trouble? Yes, He can. In times of trouble that are much more severe than an invading army. Verses 2 and 3 Pictures a severe natural disaster, an earthquake or flood so powerful that mountains crumble and, and sink into the sea. Mountains and, and land and psalms are usually a picture and symbolic of, of stability and security. And the, the sea raging is, is, you know, essentially a force of chaos. But here, this mountain of stability is going to be overwhelmed by chaotic circumstances and yet God is a refuge and strength the word refuge means a shelter when trouble comes God's not hard to find he is a very present help because he is the maker of the mountains and the maker of the seas Every so-called natural event is really under supernatural control. Do not go about giving credit to some impersonal mother nature. It is our loving God and heavenly Father who has made all things. The omnipotent God is with us. And so the writer of Psalms says, Therefore, we will not fear. One day when Jesus' disciples saw a storm blow in while they're in the boat, they let their master just keep on sleeping. They tried to control the situation on their own, but eventually as the wind blew and the sea raged, their confidence sunk and they were certain that they were about to sink. And yet their sleeping in the back of the boat was a very present help for their time of trouble. And they woke him saying, Master, do you not care that we're going to perish? You know what Jesus spoke to the sea. Peace, be still. Literally, be silent, be muzzled. (laughs) We'd say to our children sometimes, zip it, stop. And the winds and the waves obeyed his will because that is the voice of the one who spoke them into existence. And yet the lesson was not over. Jesus turned to his disciples and he asks, why is it that you were so fearful? How is it that you had so little faith? Because many times his disciples, you know they, they had this song, Psalm 46, they had They had sung it, but it wasn't until that day that the disciples of Jesus truly learned that the God of creation was a very present help for them. When the rain pours and the storm rages, when the very earth beneath your feet seems to be ready to fall away, take refuge in your ever-present God. Do not be afraid. Remember that every speck of dirt and every splash of water on this earth is just putting on a show for his glory. Maybe the little girl singing this psalm could spare a smile knowing that Sennacherib and his approaching army were essentially walking over quaking mountains and the storm clouds of God's wrath were already gathering overhead. God is our refuge, 
against natural disasters. The second section, God is a resource among national disputes. Now I mentioned a few moments ago that one of the defenses Jerusalem created against attack was a a water source. Jerusalem is built on top of a mountain, on top of Mount Zion. Rivers don't flow on mountaintops. It isn't easy those, in those days to defeat a walled city, especially when you have to attack uphill. But one thing you could do is just surround them, cut them off, starve them out. Quicker yet, cut off their water supply. Look at verse 4. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Jerusalem is one of the rare ancient cities that isn't built on a river. So Sennacherib was certain that he could easily defeat this city by putting it under siege. And yet in 2 Kings chapter 20 and 2 Chronicles chapter 32, both describe how Hezekiah built this underground tunnel. It's about 600 yards long, securely and secretly bringing water into the city from a natural spring. And it was Y'all, it, it was quite a feat, by the way. The workers dug from both sides trying to meet in the middle, and so you end up with this S-shaped thing where they eventually meet together. In 1880, two boys swimming found an inscription dedicated to the completion of that work. In this psalm, there is a river, there is a stream that makes the city of God glad. But this stream is described as the very presence of God himself, right? God is in the midst of her, so she won't be moved, says verse 5. He alone is the living water that can quench your spiritual thirst. Jeremiah called the Lord the fountain of living water which should never be forsaken. Jesus told the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water that I give will not thirst again but have the fountain of living water. In John 7, Jesus stood in the temple and shouted, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And who, whoever believes in me, as the scripture is said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When assaulted on every side, remember that God is your refuge and you have a source of strength the enemy cannot touch. As Sennacherib descended on the city, the residents were joyful in the security of having a water source with them. But more importantly, verse 5 says God is with them. Verse 7 calls them the Lord of hosts, literally the the, the Lord of armies. This is not bragging about the army of Judah or any army of earth. He doesn't need Judah's army. Our God is a warrior who rules over the armies of heaven and earth. Everyone thought 
Nobody can stand against Sennacherib. The reality is that Sennacherib could not stand before God. He's the Lord of hosts. God has angel armies at his disposal, and yet the reality is he does not even need them. Look at verse 6. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. Sennacherib was whipped up with frenzied anger and rage, and Assyria moved the entire kingdoms against Jerusalem, but really the kingdoms were moved describes the the kingdoms totter that word moved in the original language is a word for for insecurity for staggering it's only a matter of time before they fall all it takes in verse 6 is god raising his voice and the whole earth melts verses 8 through 11 God is a ruler who neutralizes dissent. He is a ruler who neutralizes dissent. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 8 invites everyone to come watch the show. Right? Come behold the works of the Lord because he's going to make desolations on the earth. In other words, there, the, the idea of desolations is empty places. Those places are going to be desolate. Some of those places where you see people right now, pretty soon there's not going to be there. Right, right now there is an army out there swarming in that field, but pretty soon it's just going to be prairie grass. The interesting thing in this psalm is it, it sort of describes the Assyrian army. Sennacherib's war machine was not only vast, he didn't just outnumber people, he also had technological advantages that the enemy didn't have. History shows that he had advanced war chariots, and chariots made the main thrust of his attack. They would ride through and create chaos, and then after smashing into the enemy line and breaking it up, as the chariots cleared out of the way, archers would just flood the area with with thousands of arrows into the chaos that was left behind. And then all that was left was for, you know, foot soldiers with spears to come in and, and, and clean up what was left. But verse 8 invites you to come see what God's going to do. Verse 9 shows you what he does with those bows and spears and chariots. He's going to stop wars. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth as he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two and burns the chariot in fire. God has the answer for all of Sennacherib's issues. That wicked man can bluster all he wants to, but God is going to make it into nothing. God neutralizes dissent. He brings rebellion against him to naught. 
By the way, that's not just the Old Testament God. That's your God. Jesus is going to return as, as king and he's going to rule and reign and his, he's going to, to, to land on the crest of the Mount of Olives and that's the next peak overlooking the city of Jerusalem and he's going to crush his enemy in, enemies in the valleys in between those two mountains. And he's going to take up David's throne to rule from Jerusalem. This is a great cause to fear if you're not a disciple of Jesus. If you haven't come to him for the living waters to sustain you, repent of your sin and trust him now. Make him your refuge. Make him your hiding place because you need a hiding place. It is those who are closest to the Lord Jesus who are the most secure and those who are the furthest away who will suffer his wrath. He is a great source of comfort. He is a refuge for those who are his disciples. And God is going to conquer the nations and bring peace on the earth through victory. He's also lovingly conquered your sin to bring peace to your heart. Listen to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 10 is a unique turning point in this psalm because that verse alone is the voice of God speaking, right? The, the girl's choir sort of falls silent and the voice that spoke the world into existence enters the song. Verse 6 promised this, right? The, the voice of God that would melt the earth. Verse 10 is the reality of the voice of God that, that melts your heart. This idea of be still is the idea of cease your striving. It echoes what Jesus said to the waves, right? Peace, be still. There's this calm the restlessness in your heart and have confidence that God is God and God will be glorified. Ultimately, he will be glorified in all the people of the earth because they are going to bow their knee and they are going to confess that the Lord Jesus is master to the glory of God the Father. Listen, the Lord of hosts, he is the victor in every battle. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua is the leader of God's people and he stood outside the city of Jericho making plans for how he would go to war with it. And unbeknownst to Joshua in that moment, there was this man that was standing nearby and when he sees him, Joshua approaches him he does not know that this man is the lord himself and joshua boldly asks him are you for us or are you for our adversaries you know the first word out of the man's mouth no i mean it seemed like those were the only two options right you're either on our side or you're on the enemy's side but the man said, no, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. In other words, it's not whose side am I on. That's the wrong question. The battle belongs to the Lord. Whose side are you on? Make sure you're on God's side because nobody's going to be left standing on the other. I suppose putting this psalm into context demands we sort of give the rest of the story. Sennacherib came. 
His army was just as vast as he promised it would be. They encamped around the city. But inside the city, the little girls were singing this song. The the center point of their song is found in verse 5. Depending on the translation reading, it either says, God shall help her and that right early, or God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You know what happened early at the break of dawn? Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36 describes it, says the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 when the people arose early in the morning. There were the corpses, all dead. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem wake up one morning, they look out at the invading army, and there they lay, 185,000 of them, dead. Dead how? I don't know exactly. An angel of the Lord went out and killed them. But we do know that is one day they, they stood outside taunting God's people and planning their assaults, and the next day, 185,000 of them woke up dead. What little was left, including mighty Sennacherib, beat the retreat. They marched themselves back to Assyria as quickly as they possibly could. When Hezekiah opened those letters before the Lord, I don't know what he expected would happen, but he trusted God and asked God to work. The lesson for us is to ask, can we do the same thing? Can you live in the expectation and belief that God is working and will work? And so when some scary, frightening, overwhelming problem invades your life and surrounds you, and you know it's stronger than you are, Just remember, whatever has invaded your life is not too strong for God. It is only there to be overcome by His plan to exalt and glorify Himself. It's only then you'll be honestly able to say, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or in other words, you can look at your problems and say, I know My God gives me safety. I know my God gives me strength. And I know that my God is right here with me.